to another episode of Struggle. Today on Struggle, I interview Grant Gashauer, the co-founder and chief product officer at Vidori. Grant shares how important co-founders are and how it took 10 years to build his business. This is his story. Grant, thanks so much for taking time to sit down with me to share your struggle story. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Let's jump into the interview. My first question is about your background. What did you do before your current company? I worked at a company called uh, Braun Consulting uh, right out of school, went to Northwestern and graduated in 2002. Um, and we were a typical consulting agency that had uh, technology, strategy, and design. Um, and we worked with primarily healthcare, but not exclusively, um, to build marketing platforms for them. You went from that to starting a company directly? So, uh, so I was at Braun Consulting for two and a half, three years. Uh, and so at Braun Consulting, I met my co-founders. At the time, we were working with healthcare customers, and they were spending a million dollars to um, just start spending their first marketing dollars. So a million dollars in technology. They were coordinating work across multiple agencies. It was very challenging for them to um, really execute against their many uh, marketing initiatives. Uh, and Braun Consulting ended up getting purchased by Fair Isaac Corporation. Through that acquisition, um, really what Braun had historically um, focused on was not as much a priority for Fair Isaac. And so at that time, in that transition, there was um, kind of a lot of people figuring out what they wanted to do, what the future of, the, uh, of Braun Consulting was in that practice. And so uh, me and three other uh, folks that I had been working with at Braun for a number of years decided that we were going to leave and do our own thing. We really believed that we could leverage open source software to dramatically bring down the cost of marketing technology for enterprises. And so this is 2005. And in 2005, open source software in the enterprise was not really a thing. Like you, you couldn't run Linux, for example, in the enterprise. These million dollar software packages were running supreme. We said, you know what? I think we can do this better, faster, cheaper. And we had some really great relationships with customers at the time. In fact, when we gave our two weeks notice, we stayed on for three months to help transition our current customers with another team. So we went out and hired another team trained them up, ended up spending three, spending three months, really because we obviously didn't want to leave the, the Fair team in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad position, but really we wanted to invest in our customers and the relationships that we had been, that we had built and, and, and fostered over the last uh, number of years. And so that actually ended up paying back in spades because uh, many of those customers that we stayed back for at Fair Isaac became Vidori's first customers after you know a year of non-compete. The other important thing for us was being able to build a team that reflected uh, the core values of the founders. And so um, for us, it was really, really exciting to be able to create a place where we wanted to come to work and everybody that worked with us wanted to come to work. What was Vidori like the first month of starting it? So Vidori in the first month, and I really could extract this out to the first year. So Vidori's bootstrapped. Um, we really believed in being able to have control over building a company in the way that reflected um, not only our values, but also the opportunity. And so um, and that's all we really knew. So we're, we're, we're very naive. I mean, we look back 10 years and it's like, what? You know, I can't believe how, how dumb we were. But uh, I think that's true for a lot of first-time entrepreneurs. Anyway, um, we were literally working out of the basement of um, uh, two of the co-founders. And so 
um, they were married or they are married now and um, and it was literally I, I, I quit uh, after we quit um, I was living downtown and I moved back in with my folks who are in Winnetka to save money because so I was like wait a minute I can't afford uh, any rent in, in Lincoln Park uh, if I have no income so we really we were very really smart in the sense of like okay we got to scale back expenses thankfully my parents were in Winnetka I lived with them for, gosh, maybe 18 months during this time, the first, the first um, 18 months of the company, and I commuted down into the city um, to go work in a basement. And so it was a little interesting because when we were starting, we obviously had no money. So I joke that you know, we were trying to figure out, um, you know, we, we created our business plan, um, which is you know, full-on business plan, the whole 30-page uh, plan that you know, a lot of, not a lot of companies necessarily do today. but. Um, and after that, we're like, okay, well, what do we got to do? So we, we uh, you know, we're trying to reach out to our connections. It ended up, we actually lucked out, got a little revenue in the first few months because uh, our former customer reached out to Fair Isaac and asked that we subcontract back in through them to help service our old customer. So our first check as Vidori actually came from Fair Isaac, which was a little ironic and interesting at the time. And, uh, but, the, but it literally, it was like, we were working out of a basement and we had really like, okay, how do we get business? But I would say that the other things we focused on the first few months were, uh, the name. We had no name. Uh, we had to figure out the corporate structure. Are we an S corp? Are we an LLC? What does that even mean? Uh, we had no, you know, expertise in that area. We had to come up with a logo. Uh, we, we lovingly joke, I created our first logo, which was me putting Vidori in Photoshop and adding like eight cool filters. And that was our, our, our logo for the first while. So we were literally just like starting from nothing. And we, we didn't hire anybody for the first year, in fact. And so we um, ended up, and I actually don't remember the story of how we uh, found our first customer. I think it was through a, a referral. But we worked with um, the Rosenthal Group, which uh, is the um, parent company for Soprafina, Tutoria 10, Pogmahone here in the city. And we built them, and we and actually they just recently transitioned off almost eight, nine years later. Uh, we built their entire e-commerce platform uh, from the scratch. Full website, full design. Um, but that was our first year. We, we, the, the, the four of us busted our butt uh, on that site for that customer. and. You know, if, if, if we were Vidori today, that site would have cost four times what it did because we didn't care. Like we just were trying to deliver some kind of value and get our name out and build some reputation. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, it was slim pickings the first year. So you think it was worth taking that big risk early on? Yeah, well, so we, you know, in terms of the risk, we, um, had to have a serious conversation about that. Uh, at the time, uh, I was single. Uh, no one was married at that time. No one had kids. Uh, we were all young, so I was 25, I wanna say, 26, um, when, we, when we quit. And so, you know, I, I had nothing to lose, really. It's like, well, if it doesn't work out for a year, then whatever, we'll go get another, I'll go get another job, it's no big deal. So I didn't feel that, the risk was, the only risk I felt was that uh, opportunity risk where it's like, oh shoot, you know, I could have had a career somewhere else and made some money. But I am also of the type of person who feels like anything's possible if you put your mind to it. In fact, my mom jokes with me all the time that she said that when I was in kindergarten, I, I would come home and be like, mom, why do I have to go to school? 
She was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I was like, everything I need to know, I'll just look it up. And so kind of that, that, that mentality kind of carries through with um, me today where um, I don't really fear the unknown. And it's like, I always know that whatever the challenge is, you can figure it out. So from a risk perspective, um, I think we went in with naive confidence. So you transition from a consulting business to a product business. What was that like? Man, transitioning from consulting products was probably one of the hardest things we had to do. Um, whole host of reasons. Technology-wise, process-wise, cultural-wise, funding-wise, um, how, you, how you engage and work with customers and setting expectations was different. And it was all new. Um, and so uh, from a technology perspective, consulting, you know, you're building solutions. And in fact, this is less true today because the solutions we're building across the entire company are very complex and they live for, for many years. But five years ago, the solutions we were building were, were much more simple and you didn't need to build in. And honestly, customers didn't want to pay for all of the um, kind of testing and quality that has to go into a product that's going to live for a long time. It just wasn't economically feasible. And so from a technology perspective, I think we, we, were, we didn't appreciate the sophistication and the rigor that we needed to build a product, a complex product at that, that um, uh, we needed to be able to support long term. So when we formed the product team, uh, it originally was just me and like another guy. And we were just coding away, right? And, and if you needed to add a new feature because the customer needed it, hey, just walk over to Grant or Mike and like they'll just add it in real quick, right? So there's no any methodology whatsoever. And uh, obviously that doesn't scale. But it got to a point where you had to set expectations that things weren't always possible. So like a product needs a roadmap. A product has a vision. A product you know, has direction and you, there's a thousand things a product could do. So being very, very clear on like what it is we're doing and what it is we're not doing in the face of consulting where you're implementing your own product is really hard because in consulting, if a customer asks you to do something, of course we can do that. We can figure out a way, right? That's the way we grew the business. Customer has a problem. We're intelligent people. We can figure it out. We can, we can create solutions. But all of a sudden when you're developing on your own product, it's like, well, we can't just tell a customer, yes, we can do that if it impacts the product and the capabilities. So it became more complicated in terms of how we set expectations with customers. Um, I'll also say that from a culture perspective, uh, the way we were operating the product team ended up diverging from consulting. So we had to figure out how to actually build products. So we adopted agile methodology. We had to figure out how to build in process, a deployment pipeline. We had to figure out how to detect defects early. Um, Originally, there was not the kind of testing that was uh, that we had created. The frameworks weren't there, so we had to take a step back. We actually took a three-month pause at delivering any new product capabilities and said, we're going to do this pepper quality initiative where the team spent three months figuring out how to build products. And we came up with uh, team management structure, delivery, technology, testing strategies, expectations. We basically adopted, you know, we adopted Scrum, and that three-month investment that we made in this pepper quality initiative is actually probably what saved the company. We inextricably linked the businesses such that when consulting slowed down, we couldn't uh, have the money to invest in the product, but yet we needed to invest in the product in order to build the features that we needed in order to deliver the solutions that uh, consulting team promised. So we ended up being on this very, for almost really 
a year and a half, this, this very teeter-tottering of, of financial, being very thin financially because we needed enough money to sustain and invest in consulting, but we were taking all that money investing in the product. And um, yet we needed to develop the product fast enough to deliver the capabilities we needed in order to sell the consulting work. So we got in this really catch-22 scenario in terms of the business model. When you started, you started in 2005. Yep. How long did it take before you started really making profits? So we were profitable in our first year. Um, but were that's you guys because, paying yourselves? Well, we were. It wasn't much, but we did. Uh, one thing, so in terms of profit and, 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 and growing the company, we have always run the company very, very conservatively, um, financially. So the founders have never really paid themselves market wage up even today, I would argue, um, because we want to reinvest in the business as much as we can. We're trying to always play the long game um, and we want to invest in our team. That being said, the first year I think we made $70,000 as a company the first year for the whole year. So I was like, maybe it was like 80,000. I was like, all right, 80 grand split four ways after taxes. It's like nothing, right? So the second year, uh, thankfully we were able to grow quite a bit and we hired um, uh, our first employee who's still here. He's a great guy, Mike Sullivan. And he came on, um, I want to say April-ish of our second year. And at that time we were re-engaging with our former customers. So because we really valued those relationships and we invested in making them successful, even at the time we were like, let's get out of here, let's start a business, we want to go. Because we stuck around, because we invested in them, because we played the long game, uh, we had the opportunity to recompete for business. And when you are, at the time, you know, four or five people, you're hungry and you're going to do whatever it takes to make that customer successful. You will work 10 times more uh, 10 times harder, 10 times longer. We, you will go above and beyond every time. And so it's really hard to compete with that for small projects. And so we did that over and over and over and over. And over the next 12 to 18 months, we ended up replacing Fair Isaac at one of our uh, customers. Uh, and Vidori became the you know systems integrator, basically, for them. Um, and we, throughout the life time of that account, which I think we had them as a customer for maybe eight years. Um, fantastic customer. And uh, we always try to go above and beyond. We really invested in, in that relationship. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons we've been successful. So the growth of the business has been run conservatively, work your damnedest and hardest you can, and put the customer's success first. And Based on those ingredients, like you can make it happen. And so in consulting, it's maybe a little easier than product because obviously you're, you're delivering services. And so in a service business, doing whatever you can to make the customer happy is, goes a long way. And they want to continue to work with you. And then you become a trusted advisor. And then they bring you into other conversations about how you can create value for them. And, and then it becomes a partnership. And then and then and then, right? So it, um, that's really how, that's really the foundation of how we really built the business. So how long did it take you to build? How, how long until you're profitable? Started development on Pepper 3, I want to say 2011, actually. We rolled out the first customers in, let's, I want to say, December of 2013, uh, maybe January 2014. And then we ended up building a number of solutions on top of Pepper over 20, um, actually, no, end of 2012, I think we, we ended up 
going to production. And 2013 was kind of the year of problems. Um, and so we, we weren't profitable at all um, because we couldn't keep everything working properly. Um, it wasn't until 2015 that the product PL is break even. What's the worst part of, about being a CPO? Uh, the worst part is that you basically have to navigate hundreds of priorities that are split across lots of different people, whether those are internal customers or external customers, and being able to try to create clarity and excitement around a plan when you have a lot of stakeholders. So really, you're kind of like, you really have to be a, um, a facilitator, a really good facilitator to help kind of bridge and create alignment um, and set expectations accordingly. I think that's not the worst part, but it's it's the challenging part, I'd say. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, we just want to build cool stuff, but everyone has to understand how that cool stuff actually integrates with what they're doing. And they all, everyone has ideas, which is awesome. And then, but how do you, how do you say, well, this idea is awesome, but we're not going to do it right now. And so making people feel like they can contribute to the direction of the product, where we should take it, what they're hearing, but then understand if like we can't do anything with it yet. Um, I think that's the hard part, especially internally. It's like, oh, I wanted, this is awesome. Especially if you agree with the idea, like this is awesome. I just can't do it yet. So saying no, basically, is hard. Do you take weekends off? Uh, so work-life balance question. I think I'm a little bit better now than I used to be. The thing is, there really is no like work-life separation when you're running a business. So uh, much to the the you know frustration sometimes of your spouse. Um, but uh, I do try to take time off, and what I've tried to do is structure that time in a way that still creates value for either myself to do to do better work here at Vidori or indirectly relates to something we're doing at Vidori. So <clears throat> whether that's reading um, books on building great teams, building great products, um, meeting other entrepreneurs in the city um, to share ideas. So trying to stay engaged and active and learn, but not necessarily like doing work. It took 10 years for you to build this. Do you think you're finished? 10 years, yeah, 10 years to build this. You know, no. And I would say in some ways, so um, it's easy to be impatient. And what we've built is amazing. Like the team that we've built and the customers that we've served and the value we've created for our customers is insane. It's awesome. Like I'm super proud of everything we built. And, you know, looking at the last three years, the potential of what we've created in the last 10 years and the things we've learned, I think is huge untapped potential for the business in the long term for the next five years, 10 years. So in a way, I feel like anxious that we can't move faster. Um, but I think, um, and maybe we could have gotten there sooner. Sometimes I look back, I was like, man, maybe if we had known what we were doing or had clarity of plan, you know, some in some other way or so earlier, we could have you know, gotten to where we were two years earlier. And that may be true, right? But at the same time, it's like the, the, the growth that we've gone through in terms of experiences and failures and successes, building teams and what works and what doesn't. At the end of the day, we still delivered great value. We've learned a ton. And I think we've built the best foundation for a f the future of the company that we ever have been. I'm really actually excited about what it is kind of what our future is. Who do you 
look up to or go to for advice? God, it's gonna sound corny, but uh, I look up to my dad actually, uh, because he, so he's on our board. Uh, he was um, the CEO of a company called United Stationers. Um, they've since changed the name, but um, his executive leadership and purpose-driven companies, like his perspective on that um, is super empowering. And his kind of pragmatic ideas about building businesses and long-lasting businesses, I really appreciate. Um, and obviously having uh, run big companies before, he's seen a lot. So, you know, I think one of the things as an entrepreneur that you look for in a mentor is someone just is like, can help you with a sanity check. Am I crazy? Like, should I be worried? Should I not be worried? So, you know, that, that's, that sounding board is really helpful. Um, I get that also through other Chicago entrepreneurs who, who are great. Um, but I think my dad for sure, like helps me keep on track personally and also helps, uh, advise and coach on the business. Um, other than that, the rest of the rest of our board is also fantastic. And we looked at them all the time. We recently added, um, a guy that, um, I've had the opportunity to work with at Northwestern. There's an NUvention program over there where we um, mentor students to create businesses over two quarters. Um, and his name is Rich Padula, and he's fantastic. Um, and he now he's actually helping teach that class. Um, so he's another person that um, has provided really great insights. So this is a question I asked to all my entrepreneurs who are who I'm interviewing. Looking back, what is the hardest struggle you had, and what advice would you give to new entrepreneurs looking to start? a business and how to overcome the struggles you faced? Ooh, that's a good question. I think of, I can think of one immediately that's the personal side, um, which we can talk about. For a business side, I would say having a good relationship with your co-founders can get you through almost anything. There, as we discussed earlier, um, when the business decided to build the product, separate out the product P&L, take profit from consulting, invest it in the product. And we ended up not having as much money as we wanted to invest the product and we didn't have enough money to invest in consulting. And so we kind of were stealing and robbing one part of the business to pay for the other. At the same time, they're, they're linked. So if we can't afford to, to have enough funding for one or the other, the whole thing kind of collapses. And it almost did, you know? We were, we had a situation in, in 2013 where the product was really not doing very well it was you know so our customers are are, are um, in the regulated market um, they're validated they're very complex there's there's significant um, significant bad things happen if your system isn't working so we were we were having scenarios where um, you know content that has to be out there by law you know all of a sudden wasn't we're like oh this is not good uh, or, you know, error would happen when we're trying to get a piece of content out there that was supposed to be out there, you know, at that minute, right? There's like, has to be for compliance reasons and legal reasons. We had, so we basically built the, the business, we evolved the business model to, to link these two businesses. And yet, what ended up, what the reality was is that we had a mature consulting business that was leverage a startup, a product of a startup. It was a, lever, it was a product, it was a brand new product, right? And so you linked two businesses, one that was immature and one that was mature together, um, and all the things that come with it. And it, it, I mean, it almost took the company down, both financially and from just a solution delivery, like expectations with our customers. Like, 
Vidori, how could you let this happen? Vidori, oh my gosh, you know, um, you know, what are we gonna do? This is this is our livelihood too. Our customers are saying this. Like this is this is this is on us too, just as much as it's on you. It got to the point where we said, you know what? We put our uh, Scott, one of the other co-founders, um, we told our customers that our bonus is in your hands. You get to decide whether or not we get paid. And because we had nothing else, like we were doing our damnedest. We were working seven days a week. The whole, I mean, the whole team. This is this is really was a huge team effort. We pulled through. Um, but I gotta tell you, like, there were days where, like, that's it, done, it's over. You know, if the customer decided to not, this particular customer, which is one of our largest customers, they decided, you know what, screw it. This is sunk cost, this whole thing. We're gonna move away to something else. That would have just killed the company. Thankfully, it didn't happen. And I don't think it happened because one, um, we built um, a relationship based on a deep understanding of trust and they and we were literally doing everything we could to um, you know remediate all of the issues uh, those are the kind of things that I feel like you know every entrepreneur that I, I, I speak with always has war stories and looking back on those though it also makes you a lot stronger and so having gone through that there's a certain resilience that you just can't have until you go through those scenarios so then when other bumps in the road come you're like well you know it's not so bad, maybe, because it's not this. So what advice would you give to uh, entrepreneurs? Don't let problems get in the way of your relationship with your co-founders, because you're going to need them to get through whatever shitstorm happens, right? And if you guys haven't built a strong relationship and, and it turns into fighting or, you know, any kind of anything but perfect execution between the founding team, you're kind of screwed. Like that has to be, if that's not there, you're not gonna be able to weather storms. So that, that's a kind of like a prereq. And you hear that advice from, from a lot of entrepreneurs, I think. I would also say um, your team is a lot more resilient than you may realize. By asking the team to help you pull through and giving them context and awareness and saying, look, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna make it happen. This is the reality. Let's do it. They're, they're a lot more resilient. They can be a lot more resilient. What are your next plans? Six months, a year. So the next set of plans are to really scale the business. Um, we're working on three major initiatives to do that. Um, scaling the people side of the organization, so how we work. Scaling our marketing and sales team, and then scaling the technology. So um, all three need to layer up into being able to scale Fedori as a whole. Um, and so all three in progress. We're seeing prog progress against all three. And it's super exciting because you know additive together, you know it's not three equals one plus one equals three. One plus one plus one equals three. It's much greater than that. Um, so yeah, scale and validating and continue to validate the, what we're what we're actually offering. Great. Well, Grant, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate your time to share your story of struggles. Yeah, appreciate it. This was great. Thanks thank you. Time.